Thank you, Paul and Leslie. How are the rest of y'all? That's better. That's, that's pretty good. Normally, it's just Ernie. <laughs> Doing pretty good. Well, that's pretty good. I'm pretty impressed. I like it. I like it. I bet you're wondering what we're going to talk about today. You're not? I am. <laughs> you could see that one coming, couldn't you? Well, we've talked, uh, you think about our world today, and it is crazy, isn't it? There's a, it's just absolutely flipped upside down. I, I really probably, you know, I guess I haven't been around as long as some of you, but most of you I've been around as long, and I've never seen it more messed up, is it? I mean, it's pretty wild. But we're going to look today at a guy that actually lived about 3,000 years ago. Actually, a little over 3,000 years ago. And the world in which he found himself living certainly wasn't any better. In fact, he's out of his mind. He can't figure out. He's been talking to God, and God won't give him any answers. Does that sound familiar? Where's, where's the answers, right? What's going on? God, we're talking to you. Why don't you fix this stuff? 3,000 years ago. Think of that. The United States has been around for how many years? Two hundred thirty years. I said three thousand years ago. <laughs> okay, what do you, you guys want to find out? Because a lot of people say, and you're already saying, well, it must be in the Old Testament. Right, it's in the Old Testament. But oftentimes people say that the Old Testament is so irrelevant. It's so long ago. It has nothing to do with us. It's amazing. There's nothing new under the sun, as it would say in Ecclesiastes. Um, but before we go any further, let's just commit our time to our Lord. Father God, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your love, for your care, for your understanding of the times. And Father, that you are in control, that you are fully and completely and sovereignly the God of the universe, the God of all. Before anything was, you were. You always have been, always will be. As we contemplate on the infinity of who you are and the everlasting awesomeness. Father, it makes us bow down and to thank you that you truly are God. Father, I'd ask that our time today would be refreshing, it would be insightful, and it would be worshipful. Because God, that's what we're here for. We're here to worship a God that is in charge. Father, now have your will, your will and way with us, that relationally we will be closer than we've ever been. I pray for each one that's come out today, and we ask that you would bless them, their families, and you would especially be with them. We thank you for their tenacity in coming and to share and to worship and praise and honor for you. We also pray for those that were not able to make it today for various reasons. We lift them up in prayer, Father, knowing you know each and every situation. But also today, Father, we would also ask that our teacher today would exclusively be the Holy Spirit. We would ask that he would guide and direct us the places that you want us to go and that you would be honored. And these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> in fact, verse 2 of chapter 1 of this book, you don't know where you're going, that's okay. 
he asks this, O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Does that sound familiar? It surely is. If you're struggling with circumstances, if you're struggling with situations that are overpowering, oftentimes our circumstances raised to the level that we just think God either isn't in control or doesn't care enough to get back to us. That's been going on a long time. Does anyone want to know where we're going to go next? Does anyone know where we're at? Where we're that's pretty close. He was actually, the man we're going to go and visit in the, in the Word, was a contemporary of Jeremiah. Habakkuk. Habakkuk. See if you can find that in your Bibles. I'll give you about five minutes. Um, <laughs> the best way would probably just use your index. And uh, it's probably one of the most ill-pronounced words. Habakkuk. I called him Habakkuk when I was, uh, young, when I was growing up. But uh, the time frame, let's start there, because I think it's very imperative for us to understand. Um, those of you that are kind of flailing around out there, you'll find it on page 1,349. <laughs> he wrote this particular, I'm going to say, uh, verse or this, uh, this chapter in his life that was given to God in 607 B.C. So if you... If you take a time effect of what things were going on then, uh, do you guys remember what happened in 605? So just two years later from this point. We're sa- and again, remember, uh, time goes the other way. We're in 2019, um, which I'm actually very anxiously looking for 2020. It seems like it's been a long, long year, hasn't it? We'll be getting actually into that. One of, the, the, one of some of my favorite verses for us to actually uh, we'll get it, we'll, we'll embark upon is the last few verses of Habakkuk. It's in chapter 3. But 605, 607 B.C. was when he wrote these words. And in 605 B.C., something very significant happened. Anyone know? Oh, you're, 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 you're cheating. Then. Very good. So how, what did it say when you cheated, Paul? So you're cheating too, Kirk? That's good. That's good. That's okay. Go ahead. Babylon what? Yeah, actually, they were even, uh, they were even before this. In, six, in fact, this, now let's think of this. Um, in 612 B.C., uh, the Babylonians literally took Assyria and the capital of Assyria and, and took charge of it. Okay? So we're having a change in world powers. Assyria had been the world leader. They were the ones that were in power, and they were ruthless. And guess what? The Chaldeans, or the Babylonians, began to rise up, became more powerful each and every year. And in 612, which would have been five years previous to this, they took out the ruling and reigning uh, what, what should we say? The dynasty. The Assyrians were, caught, were toppled. So he knows, Habakkuk knows exactly that there's a new coming power that's overpowering them. Now, what's really concerning to him, because he's a prophet of God, some have even thought that he was maybe a priest um, originally, because he's, if you go to chapter 3, you'll find that he sang a prayer, or he was actually, I think he was actually on a stringed instrument, that he had, a, had, had put a music score to it. He was very gifted in that, that particular thing. But here's Israel, and it's just falling apart. There is rampant crime. That there's corruption at every level. Scandals are incredible. There's stealing. There's taking from the poor. The richer become the richer. Do you see how it lines up? That's exactly what's going on. And he's saying, how? And he's been praying to God, God, fix this. Solve it. Something has to change. 
Now that you're in the back, did everyone find it? Very good. If not, keep going, keep looking. Uh, let's look now at, ver- at chapter 1 and verse 1. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? You see, do you see what he's asking? Lord God, there's got to be a way out of this. What is going on? Why won't you talk to me? I'm not hearing you. And actually, we don't have time to go through the whole book, but I, want, I just want to give us a synopsis of what's really important because what I really want to get at today is how do we have courage to live in a day and age that it seems like failure is winning? Where do we get courage? Where does it come from? Habakkuk was asking some of those same questions. Now, it even goes on. Now, now I'm going to start to paraphrase a bit. Later on, it begins in verse 5. Guess what? God answers him. This, this is interesting. This little book of Habakkuk is a dialogue between a prophet and God. It was in a vision. And so he's asking questions. God answers it. And then have you ever had an answer of which it makes your jaw drop and you have a whole bunch more questions that you didn't even think about before? Welcome to life. So here's the number one question on Habakkuk's mind was this, God, how long are you going to let this go on? How long until we fix us? Speaking of Israel, he's speaking of his nation, the nation Israel. How long is this going to go on? And in verse 5, God says, I'm going to tell you how we're going to do it. I'm going to bring a nation and I'm going to bring against Israel and we're going to have some real traumatic days and that nation is the Chaldeans. Now, what you don't know I'm trying to even put this in, I, I couldn't even come up with a perspective. In other words, the United States are struggling right now. We really, really are struggling morally. We, we just can't get footing. Truth no longer matters. What's evil is called good, and what's good is called bad. Same story 3,000 years ago. Deja vu all over again, right? That's what, what was that guy's name? What was that manager of that baseball name? You know, he, had, he had those, what was his name? Deja vu all over again, which, which means, anyway, you get it. Isn't that exactly what's going on? In 3,000 years, things have just completely repeated and repeated and repeated. But here's what he's saying. He said, the worst, the most cruel, the most wicked people in the world are now going to come and conquer Israel. What do you think is happening next? What? How could you possibly, chapter 2 is about this, how could you possibly use someone that is more wicked, more evil, to punish someone that's not as wicked and evil? That makes no sense to me, God. How do you think he's doing right now? Lots of questions. Lots and lots of questions. His world was crazy. One of the things that we find uh, in the same time frame of all of this, was there was, if you go back into Daniel, let's go to Daniel for a moment, Daniel chapter 3, because this would have been shortly after 605 B.C., which would have been just a couple years in advance, and actually exactly what God said happened. The, the Babylonians took over Judah. They captured, besieged, burnt, made a mess of the country. Daniel chapter 3. It's interesting that there were three men when Nebuchadnezzar, who was the, I mean, you talk about a ruler now, what he said went. And he had something on his mind. And they had this statue made of Nebuchadnezzar. 
And I'm not going to get into a lot of it because I want, to, I, want to get to the, I want to get to the root of it. But let's just set it up. So we have this statue that is in a, 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 it's a picture of Nebuchadnezzar. And they are, everybody's going to come in and they're going to fall down and worship this. That's the job. That's, that's the task. You're going to fall, and when they have music, you're all going to fall down and you're going to worship the image of Nebuchadnezzar. That presents a problem. If you worship the one and only true God, something that's inanimate, something that it would be in the form of man, and worshiping something that's created and not the creator, that's a big problem, a huge problem. Now, some may say, well, we'll just be this one time. I mean, God knows my heart. He knows that I really trust him. I really love him. And this is just basically to save my skin so I don't die, and he'll get it. Okay? Now, that's one way to look at it. Uh, there was three guys there that said, no, we're not going to do that under any circumstance. Now, Kim, imagine as many people as you could see, as far as you could see, the plain of Dura is the place, and there's people everywhere, and this is a huge deal, and the music starts, and guess what? They all fall down except three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they stuck out like a sore thumb. And guess what? Someone who is watching, there's three guys standing. They must not have understood the command. So they go, to, they go and they say, did you not understand? In fact, they were brought before Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, did you not get the message? When the music plays, you fall down and worship the statue. Oh, we get it. We're just not going to do it. <laughs> now, now, do you see where circumstances are going to get very complicated very quickly? Did, oh, I forgot to tell you. It wasn't just a slap on the wrist or go to jail for 30 days. No, you got dropped into a furnace if you didn't bow down. Let's watch the dialogue. Now, you're in chapter 3 of Daniel. I want you to watch this unfold. That's the situation. Verse 13 of, chapter, of Daniel, Daniel chapter 3. <clears throat> we'll start in verse 12. I'm sorry. There you go. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over thee. This is, this is the tattletale telling Nebuchadnezzar. That hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do you not serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if you be ready, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made, well... But if you worship not, you should be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that should deliver you out of my hands? Do you see what he's doing? He is in charge. Their lives are in his hand. Circumstantially, looks pretty sure. If he says something, it happens. He says, open the door, you open the door. He says, sit still, you sit still. Okay, what are you going to do now? Now, you know what they did. So that's cheating, though. What, what do you do now? You just slip into the sands for a moment. You are before the number one totalitarian dictator in the world. And he has just told you, if you don't do it my way, you're going to die. Uh, uh, let's, let's talk about this a little bit more. I was just kind of, well, I was, 
right? Watch how they respond. It is actually the very same response that Habakkuk comes to the conclusion in chapter 3 of that little book we're taking a glimpse of. And I'm wondering if these three men didn't pick up the same message that Habakkuk himself got before God. Because watch how they answer in about a few years after Habakkuk wrote that. Now watch this. Shadrach, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. We don't really care who you are. If it be so that our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto you, O king, that we will not serve your gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. In other words, no matter what happens to us, we will serve God. Now that takes guts. <laughs> right? That's putting it out there. That's living on the edge. Now, how did Nebuchadnezzar take that? I really have to appreciate your tenacity. I appreciate your forthrightness. I appreciate your dedication. But I'm still going to throw you in the fiery furnace. In fact, it gets worse. Watch what he does. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury. In fact, now he can't even think straight. And the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they... Oh, by the way, do you know who Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in relationship to Nebuchadnezzar prior to this? They were part of that group that was selected, that they showed a tremendous amount of promise in intellect and overall leadership skills. They were young men, and they were brought, and they were taught in all of the Babylonian ways. These were the hand-select. Daniel was the other one. Now, I'm wondering, where was Daniel all of this? He must have been somewhere else. We don't know, because I'm guaranteeing you, he would have been the fourth one that would have stood out. But those three were part of this team of leadership that he was developing. It was an inside group. It was someone that they would have very much been close to. Nebuchadnezzar, do you see how things are changing right now? He is wickedly mad. Now, let's watch. <clears throat> Therefore, he spoke and commanded they should heat the furnace seven times more than it was to be heated. I'm trying to figure that out. If it's hot enough to fry you the first, why would you make it seven times more? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, isn't it? it was, I'm just going to say it went from hot to really hot. In fact, it's so hot, watch this. He commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Now, again, I'm trying to figure out what difference it would make whether you're tied up or not when you're dropped into this. We could go into a lot more detail about how this was set up, but, but I don't think it's necessary at this point. Verse 21, Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fire furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent, and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew the men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In other words, the ones that are throwing them in are so hot they can't even get close enough, they're dead. And they drop these three guys into the middle of that. <laughs> And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished, rose up in haste and spoke and said unto his counselors, Did we not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said, It's true, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. 
and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fire furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth out of the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose body the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed. You know, the smell of fire had passed on. But did you notice what happened? There was one thing they went in with that's no longer there. The ropes that they were tied with. And when we're in Jesus Christ, all of those things that bind us and hold us, they're gone. Those men came out. Now, let's, let's cha- look at the change of attitude for a second. Then Nebuchadnezzar sp- spoke and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that every people, nation, and language would speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made a dunghill because there is no other god that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Now, if you've ever seen a change of events so vastly different, that's got to be a prime example. Oh, what was the difference? Were they trusting in circumstance? Or were they trusting in God? That's really the situation. That's the exact same thing that Habakkuk comes through. And I'm using this example because I'm convinced. I have no way to prove it. But looking at the time frame, looking at the... Um, the contemporaries, these three, would have known what Habakkuk would have written in his little three-chapter letter. Regardless of anything that happened, Habakkuk said, I don't care what happens, I'm still going to trust God. In fact, now I want you to go to chapter 3. This is the end of, literally, the passage that Habakkuk gives to us. Now, listen to this. Now, God had also said that he was going to defeat the Babylonians at some point in time. That's what chapter 2 is about. But he starts out, and he literally, in chapter 3 of Habakkuk, verse 1, it says, a prayer of Habakkuk. This is a prayer, ultimately, that he is saying to God. He is singing, it says, even if you go to the very last verse, it said, to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. He's telling them to make melody to the musical score that he's apparently made this chapter of. But watch carefully now. Verse 16. When I heard, now what, what, what is he hearing? He's talking about the two chapters that he, they're dialoguing, God and himself. And at the end, God has said, you know what? I'm going to send the Chaldeans to punish, to use as a judgment tool against Israel. I'm going to get them right again. And then I'm going to take the Chaldeans and I'm going to destroy them forever. Do you know how many Chaldeans are left on the face of the earth right now today? Of that original, zero. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. How many Israelites are left? I don't know either, but there's a lot of them. How many times have the Israelites been destined by other world leaders to extinguish, to annihilate, to destroy, to ultimately obliterate, and they're still here because God said they would be? God gets done what he says he's going to do. Watch now. He says, when I heard, verse 16... My belly trembled. Have you ever had those, that, those nervous where you're really, really nervous and you have that stomach ache? Never happened? Oh, I remember. The ones that were worse for me were those, uh, those musical concerts where you had, you, know, you, you had solos or whatever and you 
And, I, and you know, you know the judges are really good, and you know, all, and you're hearing all, oh, why am I even here, right? And just before you go in, and you're so nervous. You're, I was. I, maybe you guys weren't, but it was. And I, I played. I played a trumpet, and I just ah, they're, they're, those butterflies. No, they were not butterflies. They were a lot bigger and meaner than that. It was your stomach was just churning, right? You know what I'm talking about. That's exactly what he's saying. And why is he doing that? When I heard this, when I saw this, I was totally upset in my whole person. That outer. When we talk about outer man and inner man, you know the difference. I mean, he is going crazy because everything he sees forward from the Chaldean stat, this does not look good at all. So here he is. He's really upset. Continue forth. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered into my bones. In other words, he's literally trembling. He's ready to just fall down. He's so beside himself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. He's looking around to the circumstances that he himself is just going crazy. Watch now. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, the fields shall yield no meat, the flock shall, shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Let me change those words just a little bit. Okay, I'm going to try this. and I didn't rehearse it, so bear with me for just a minute. This would be the same today in the 2019 region, and it would say this. And the alfalfa all got rained on and died. And there was no wheat to be combined. <laughs> and the cattle are all dead. And the sheep, no, they don't care about the sheep. That doesn't matter. <laughs> no, actually, they, actually, they do. I don't care about the sheep. But it says, and the flock shall be cut off from the fold. There's no sheep. There's no herd in the stalls. There's nothing, 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 nothing. Zero, a wipeout, completely economic, complete devastation. Now, we think of it from our perspective in 2000. And you know what? There's been some of that in 2019. There's been hail. There's been challenges. Don't forget. Don't let me forget. Don't let me forget to tell you about the rooster and the hail story. Okay? Before we... That sounds really weird, doesn't it? But don't let me forget because it really ties together all of this stuff. Okay? You can't believe how that would be it. Okay, here we go. Um, But thinking about this, we're not talking about the year 2019. No, no, no. He is looking forward seeing the Chaldeans who have just wiped out the superpower of the world, completely annihilated them, and guess who's next in the, in the way? Not knowing when, but he knows it's coming. It was actually in two more years. And do you see the sense of his whole world could be completely devastated? That's what he sees. His circumstances are so dire, so challenging that he can't possibly imagine what it could even look like. Now, how many times have you prayed? Now, you don't have to raise your hand. It's not, it's not important. How many times have you come to this circumstance that seems just unbearable, insurmountable, it's huge, it's monstrous, and you have prayed to God, God, please change the circumstances. Get me out of this circumstance. Okay, don't raise your hand. Because if you're truthful, every single one of you have probably prayed it that way. But you know what God is really good at? Sometimes he doesn't change the circumstances. He changes us for the circumstances. And he's really good at that stuff. 
But it hurts sometimes, doesn't it? It hurts. But he loves us too much to not do what is necessary to make us ready for the task that comes at us. That's what literally Habakkuk is finding out. I've got three things that I, I'm going to say I will. He's declaring this. Things don't look good. I will say that for Habakkuk. But he's going to, he has three I wills. Whoops, that one's not going to work. There we go. I will. He's making three statements ultimately. I will. First thing he's going to do is he's going to wait patiently. Wait patiently. How many of you are really good at that? How many enjoy waiting at all? To wait patiently? What does that look like? Nobody knows, right? Who does it? Well, I'm certainly not the one to talk about. I can guarantee you that. I'm a lousy waiter, let alone one that waits patiently. Let's go to Psalm chapter 37. Hold your place because we'll be right back. But Psalm chapter 37 and verse 7. Psalm 37 and verse 7. <clears throat> David wrote this psalm. Now, there's a man, talk about adversity, challenges. He had his, think of that, his father-in-law, who would have been, what's his father-in-law's name? Was David's father-in-law? Saul. So that's his father-in-law. He, David, was given Saul's daughter because of the, he was a mighty warrior. He was like, the, he was a king being, becoming a king, and he was awesome. And so he gets, what was her name, Michael? Yeah, Michael. Okay, so Michael and David are husband and wife. Saul is the father-in-law. And all of a sudden, one day, Saul takes a javelin and tries to kill you, being the son-in-law. And he goes on for years, chasing him, trying to kill him, trying to annihilate him, trying to blow him away. Just get rid of him. But here we go, Psalm 37, 7. It says this, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. If that isn't a a correlative passage to what we're reading, I can't think of anything it was. Now, if if he was going to look within, let's say, go back to to Habakkuk, slip into his sandals, he looks within, what happens? He's got fear and trembling. You look within, right? You look around, and what do you see? Everything is falling apart. But when you look up in faith, God is in charge. All fears are vanished. But you know the tr- you know what to wait patiently. What's the alternative to that? Let's just ask that for a question. The opposite of waiting patiently is what? Fretting. Excuse me. Fretting. Fretting. Okay. And what do we do when we fret? By the way, that's that's a really good answer. What do we do when we fret? Worry. Worry. Got to be doing something. Is that what you said? What did what you say? Jumping up and down. Jumping up and down. You mean like this? Pacing the floor. Got to be doing something. I like that because that's exactly right. And you know what we're doing when we're not waiting patiently on the Lord? And we've looked within and there's fear and trembling and we looked around and everything's falling apart. And then we go do something. What happens? Stupid is on steroids. Right? It just, it's, it's, the most, it's the most horrible things usually happen right then when we do those kind of knee-jerk reactions. 
right? The best thing we can do is to slow down, relax, and wait or rest in the Lord. Now, let's talk, um, just while we're thinking about it, give me a couple of examples where they were not waiting patiently and they ran ahead and made really dumb decisions. Abraham, yep, Abraham. Now, it even starts back, there were several of them. It's amazing how some cho- one, one bad choice leads to more choices, and you start tumbling down the hill. You ever been in one of those? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you finally, okay, I give up. I, yeah, let's start over again. Let me go back to the beginning and try it again. Abram went to Egypt. Why did he go to Egypt? Anybody know? Why did Abram go to Egypt? There was a famine. Who would be, the first thing to ma- who'd be the first person to talk about a famine or a drought? I would talk to God. What's the plan? Do you want me to go to Egypt or do you want me to stay here? Do you, what, what's the plan? What's the next step? We don't see any of that dialogue taking place. He just, zoom, takes off to Egypt. Comes home with baggage. Her name is Hagar. Sarah says, God is obviously not working. Oh, did you see the wait patiently thing and the whole family theme? Ah, because remember, God said, hey, I'll tell you what, Abram and Sarah, I'm going to have you, I'm going to make you a nation that is so vast, so amazing. You're going to have more people than there is sand of the sea or stars in the sky. And they waited. And they waited. And they waited. And they waited. And nothing happened. You ever been there? This was a 25-year wait for the first kid. And and they weren't youngsters. So Sarah says, okay, since God is obviously not in charge and can't get this done, let's move on, Abram. Hagar is our answer. We'll take her offspring. It will become our offspring. And away we go, God. We're giving you a jump start. Wrong-o. Huge disaster. In fact, today, the Middle East, I'm convinced, you know, they have peace treaties between the Middle, Middle East. That is a total waste of time. I'm not saying people should, you know, you shouldn't try to slow them down a little bit. That just the very essence of what God said in the, for, between Ishmael, which is the Arabs, and Isaac, which are the Jews, they will fight till the end of this world. Because that's what God said would happen. And you know what it was all? Because they didn't wait patiently. Ongoing consequences. How about another one? One more. Think of another one. He was a man. I'll give you a hint. Now, it's not the only one, but I was thinking of this one myself. He lived 120 years. That doesn't give it away. Moses. Moses. Oh, good job. Moses, 120 years. His first 40 years, who did you think he was? He was, a, he was Pharaoh's son. He thought he was something. I mean, he thought he was something. In fact, it reminds me almost of, let's go back. Are you still in Habakkuk? If you're not, turn back. Chapter 1. Here we go. Habakkuk chapter 1. This stuck out at me this morning. In fact, I read it in a different version, and I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation, because this was really just spoke to me, if I can find it. Chapter 1 and verse 11. Habakkuk, he's speaking of the Chaldeans, talking about Babylonians, and he says, they sweep past, this is verse 11, they sweep past like the wind and are gone, but they are deeply guilty, watch, comma, for their own strength is their God. Isn't that true? Wow. And you worship what you trust. You worship what you trust. Turn over to Habakkuk chapter 2, and verse 4, which is probably one of the most, uh, if, if Habakkuk's known for anything, it's verse 4 of chapter 2. Look at this in verse 4. 
Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. That is, I tell you what, if that isn't an epitome of, of pridefulness, isn't that it right there? They trust in themselves and their ways are crooked. Pride. God hates pride. Where did I leave you? Oh, man, I, I got a little bit off track. Went down. Moses, there we go. Let's get back to Moses for a second. Thank you for bringing us back around. Moses, first 40 years, he thought he was something. And he is burdened by the Israelites, of which are his own people. Somewhere, someone told him, you know what? You're really not Pharaoh's son. You guys don't look a lot alike. And you are actually an Israelite. And all of... He would have. Yeah, he would have. Now, granted, how long was he treated as Pharaoh's son? Right? Because from the time he was just literally a baby, I'm talking a week old, she happens to find him. Wasn't that kind of cool how that all worked out? Finds him in this little basket. She brings him in. And who would it be other than Pharaoh's daughter? How, how coincidental is that? And for 40 years, he thought he was really something. And you know what you do when you, really, when you think you're really something? You make stupid decisions. And he's going to speed along God's process. He's going to, he said, you know what? These Israelites are taking advantage of. The, slave, the slavery thing has gone on long enough. And the, and the Egyptians are turning up the heat. They're making them find their own straw for their own bricks. And la, 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 la. And it's going crazy. And all of a sudden, Moses says, you know what? I've got to lead this charge. I've got to get them out of here. Now, was he the right man for the job? Yes. But the wrong way. At the wrong time. You ever been in the wrong way at the wrong time? I have. I have. And what did he do? He took things in his own hands. And he killed an Egyptian. Thought he was doing the right thing. And a day later, there's two Hebrews fighting. <laughs> Moses, knock it off. You guys are friends. You're family. Don't do... Oh, you're going to kill one of us too, Moses? Now that's when you say, I'm going to, I'm going to split town. I'm gone from here because I'm in deep trouble. And he takes off. Guess what he did for the next 40 years? Learning that he was nothing. That's right. That's the best way to find out you're nothing is to herd sheep for a long period of time. They will make you humble. They make me humble, I can tell you that. Because you can't tell a sheep anything. I'm going to get down. I've got, I'm going to keep moving. Okay, so, so you thought he was really something for 40 years. Then he, for, for the next 40 years, he found out he wasn't anything so that God could use him for, for anything. Because the last 40 years, he led... A whole lot of sheep people around and around and around. And a, you get the idea. Waiting patiently. What would have happened if he would have waited patiently? We don't know. His life would have been different, though. Habakkuk, he learned to wait patiently. I will wait patiently. I'm going to wait on God. This looks horrible. The Chaldeans are going to come and wipe us out. And I don't... I don't, I don't I, ah, but I'm going to wait patiently. Can you guys say that? Easy to say, not so easy to do, right? I will wait patiently. God was at work. Now, that was the other thing. He said, how long, God? Remember in chapter 1, he said, how long? How long? How long am I going to cry to you and you're not going to hear? Look at verse 5. I want to go to verse 5, chapter 1. Behold, you among the heathen and regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which you will not believe, though it be told you. In other words, he's telling Habakkuk, he says, you know what? You don't think I'm working, but I'm working. You know what's going on in America today? God is working. In this world today, he's working. He's doing a lot of stuff that we can't even probably understand or see. Just because we don't see him working doesn't mean that he's not working. 
Just because he, you think he's a long ways away, he's probably very, very close to you. I know he is because he said he would be. That's the one thing is we be sure and not stand on circumstances, stand on promises of God. Don't place too much emphasis on your circumstance because there's nothing impossible for God. Now, I'm preaching to myself right now. Circumstances sometimes just take us out of our groove. They totally annihilate anything that we have in the sense of true trust because we get so bombarded by what we see and anticipate from our circumstances that we miss the big picture, and that is God is in control regardless of what is coming at you. It doesn't even matter if that happens. Just like those three Hebrews. Hey, dude. I don't know if they called Nebuchadnezzar dude, but they could have well. They said, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, it doesn't matter to us. It does not matter to us what you think you're going to do. If God chooses to take us out of your grasp, he's God. If he chooses not to, he's still God. We don't care because we're trusting him regardless of circumstance. Man, that is laying it on the line. Now, the really cool part for us, because we like good endings to stories, is he saved the three and they became heroes. But what if he hadn't? Situation doesn't change. They're just in God's presence. You take me out of this life, my life gets snuffed out. Guess what? I'm in the arms of Jesus because he promised to, to protect me and to take me ultimately. See, this doesn't end. The game doesn't end here. When Jesus Christ hung on the cross and he's got his arms spread and he said, it is finished, that was the end of the beginning. It was at that point that God truly showed to us as mankind that he loved us more than just talking about it. He was the answer to every possible imaginable thing that could happen because eternally, if we trust Christ as Savior, we are with him. Not, not, not for 10 years, not for 50 years, not for a million years, for eternity. Isn't that great? We can trust him. Now, the other thing, uh, Habakkuk in chapter 2, you can do some of your own research. Has anybody, this is a hand raiser, has anybody read through Habakkuk? I'll tell you, do it again. It's really cool. It really is to watch this man, this honest man, just having a dialogue with God. And at the end, he's able to say, you know what? It just doesn't matter how bad it gets. I'm still going to trust God. I'm still going to praise him. And I'm going to give him everything that I have. Regardless. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. Isn't that cool? Let's keep going. Not only did he say, I will wait patiently. He said, I will rejoice in the Lord. Verses 17 and 18. Let's go back there to Habakkuk chapter 3. Let's look at verses 18 and, and, and 17 and 18. Watch again. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail. The flock shall yield no meat. The flock shall cut off from the fold. There will be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. I will rejoice. Oh, did you see that? It just hit me here. I will rejoice. I should say, I should say in the Lord. That's what he had written here. What did I do with my oh here's the eraser. Did you see what it doesn't say? What do we usually rejoice in or we're happy in? Let me let me break let me work it backwards for you. Boy, I feel so good today because. Let me try that again. I feel so good because everything's straightened out. Going my way. I feel so good because everything's going my way. I'm rejoicing in what? I'm rejoicing. I'm rejoicing in circumstances or in myself. Correct? Do you see what he said? I'm going to rejoice in the Lord because that's the only thing that's stable. Because guess what? Your circumstance today, even though it could be going my way. Sorry, Paul. 
tomorrow may not be going your way. In fact, I know enough about life, real life, that in the last year, there's a lot of times that it wasn't going your way. Right? There may even be a lot of your life that wasn't going your way. I think of, let's go to Philippians for a moment. Just pop in my mind. Chapter 4 of Philippians. Let's go there for a second. My glasses. Philippians. Philippians. Okay. Philippians has been torn out of my mind. Where is it at? There it is. Philippians chapter 4. Thank you. Thank you. Very good. Very good. Very good. Very good. Uh, Verse 4. Chapter 4, verse 4. Philippians chapter 4. Look at this. Rejoice in your circumstances always. That's not what it says. In fact, what does it say? Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And I love that. Isn't that good? There's actually a little song about that, isn't there? There's a little chorus or something. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. See, joy, if you place it on circumstances, you're going to have a lot of joyless days. And Paul is saying, no, regardless of that. And I always have to say this. This group of people never really ever is able to forget that the residents of Paul who wrote Philippians, where he was at when he wrote and penned those words or dictated them to someone else, he was literally where? He was in prison. And I don't think those prisons in those days were very comfortable. And yet he could say... And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, I want to take you to, um, I'm going to do this twice, more for emphasis than anything else. There's a scripture that I want to leave with you today. I want you to, I don't want, write it on an index card, do whatever you need to do with it. But I want it to be something that is, that you're very, very close to you. Something that changes in how you look at things. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we're going to look at verses 15, uh, 16 through 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This situates almost... I've got one more of I wills, but this sets it, sets it up beautifully from the New Testament perspective. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I'm going to read for you verses 16 through 18. And if you can do this... No, don't look ahead. Those, just stop for a second. If we can do this, if we could do this almost continually, if this is something that is a mindset that owns us, then everything falls into place. Okay, let's look. Now, this is at the end of 1 Thessalonians. He's written it actually to give some sense of confidence to the church at Thessalonica. And he says in verse 16, Rejoice evermore. That sounds familiar. Pray without ceasing. Now, how do you pray without ceasing? Praying without ceasing. That sounds wow, right? What do you mean? Let's talk about that. I mean, that's, that's big. Praying without ceasing. It's always on your mind. You're constantly, what does God want me to do right here? God, I don't know what to do right now. What do you want me to do? Ooh, that's look, this looks, remember Nehemiah? Remember Nehemiah's, and, and someone had come with that, the, someone from the old country said, oh, it's a disaster. It's just a total disaster. And he, he, now he's got a serious problem. He's the cupbearer for Artaxerxes. He's the king, right? And he's, he, that's just a pretty low position, really. And if Artaxerxes doesn't like you, you're gone. And he wants to go and help fix the problems back in, in Israel. But how are you going to do that when you're employed by the king? So he makes a bullet prayer. You just say, I prayed in my heart. I quickly prayed to God. You, however it is in your version. And it was like this. 
He prayed before he asked. He made a plan. Do you see what I'm saying? In every instance, whatever situation, whatever choice came, that is like praying without ceasing. I find myself, the older I get, being more in tune with that. Now, that doesn't mean it's perfect. Because, again, I have the flesh side of man. I have the spiritual side. Those two things are constantly colliding. There's times this week it was not pretty. There was just too many things coming, too much bombarding. I'm just, oh, God, help me. I mean, right? I'm just being honest. And sometimes you just feel, oh, I can't take this. That's the flesh side. You just can't. And you know what? You look within, and what do you see? Fear and trembling. You look up in faith. I will wait patiently. I will rejoice in the Lord because there's no circumstances that can take me and change my relationship to God if I'm in Jesus Christ. Think of that for a second. Nothing can happen to you that can change the relationship you have with God if you're in Jesus Christ. Nothing. Nothing. Is that loud enough? We should do it one more time. Nothing. There, that's it. Got it, right? Okay. It's absolutely... Now, let's go back. I didn't finish. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 says, Rejoice evermore. 17, pray without ceasing. Verse 18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. When you can be joyful, when you can pray, in other words, you're constantly in prayer, if you will, and you're giving thanks. Those three things will change your life in a good way. It will totally change who you are. Now, we've got one more left. You're gonna, I will wait patiently, he said. I will rejoice in the Lord. In verse 19, I will rely on the Lord. Now, you saw his world had pretty much fallen apart. It didn't look very good. Let's go back to Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 19. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like... Did you remember, remember, remember what we went back to verse, chapter 1 and verse 11? What did, what did the Babylonians say? Their strength was their God. Now, what happens when you get old? I'm noticing older is happening quicker now. Oh, I feel old some days, right? And that strength, it's not so strengthy anymore. And that's not a word, but you know what I'm saying. Strength, my strength, my reliance, my trust is in the Lord. I will joy in the Lord God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk upon high places. Now, that's a little weird. What's a hinds feet? Not like hinds, H-E-I-N-Z, like hinds ketchup. We're talking about hinds, H-I-N-D-S. What is that? What in the world is that? It's like a deer or a gazelle. How fast can a gazelle run? I should have looked that up. Does anyone know? It's fast. They're pretty, they're pretty efficient, aren't they? Very sure-footed. He's saying, you know what? When my strength is in God, the stability, the speed, all of those things that make me graceful, when I'm strong in Him, I'm relying on Him, I can go to the high places. Isn't that cool? One of the things for me is, I remember growing up in North Dakota, there were not a lot of high places. Okay, That comes as a shock, I'm sure, to most of you. But one of the things that I, the first year we were out in, in Paradise Valley, south of Livingston, that was where we moved from North Dakota, um, south. And uh, we would have, we, we were right there on the valley floor, but the Absarokas, which would be off to the east, beautiful mountain range. Just to, have any, anybody been in Paradise Valley? It, it's a beautiful place. It really is. It, it's, it's just, the, two things are changing. There's more weeds and more houses. But before those things, it was really, really pretty. But I remember that summer, I would, I would trip and fall down numerous times, not because I was just clumsy, because my eyes were on those mountains. 
And, and, and again, being a flatlander, not ever getting perspective. That's right, Mom. North Dakota did not have any good, good mountains. Did not have any good mountains. Okay? But I found, and then, you know, we'd get, we'd get a, little bit, a little bit of time off or whatever, and I would find myself, in fact, there was, a, there was a relative that came out, and we went up on a journey. We took like a three or four day hike. We took some horses. Horses got away. <laughs> they went home. We walked home. <laughs> Okay, we're really good, right? I just want to share all, but you know what? It was really cool because the higher we went, the better perspective we got on what and where we lived. And I remember just loving that because perspective is in accordance to where we are. And what Habakkuk is saying, God is giving, when, when I make God my source of strength, when I rely upon Him, then I have like a gazelle's sure-footedness and I'm able to go to high places. Do you see where the strength is? When that strength, it takes you to a place of which you can overcome and oversee things of which you have no possibility of seeing perspective. See, that's what my problem is. When we're, when we're circumstance-bound, we can't see out of it. We just see more. But when you get above that, from God's perspective, if you will, now, I'm not trying to make you on the level of God, but I'm saying you start to see things from God's perspective. That's what we t- keep saying. Let the scriptures immerse you because the Holy Spirit will use it to get you to places that you will be able to see yourself through some very difficult times. That is what Habakkuk is claiming right here. He wants you to be able to see the light regardless of circumstance. And that's the message of Habakkuk. Now, remember what I was supposed to tell you? I actually remember. Okay. <laughs> You've been thinking about the whole time. I, I laid it out there a little too, too, too much, huh? But before we do that, see, <laughs> see how I am? Let's go to Psalm chapter 18 for a moment. Psalm chapter 18. Because I want to see it from David's perspective again. This is uh, one, of the, one of the verses that we have in our bull sale catalog. We have done for many, many years. Um, is verses 1 and 2. I'd like to read that. <clears throat> and uh, David was writing this psalm because he had been delivered on a number of occasion, another occasion from his enemies. In, in verse chapter, or chapter 18, verse 1, uh, these two verses, particularly verse 2, is one that I have leaned on my own, in my own life. I will love thee, O God. I'm sorry. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. See, he's saying the same thing. My strength is in the Lord. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. Turn over to verse 32 and 33. It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hinds feet and setteth me upon my high places. Do you see it again? When your strength is in God, you get to places that there's no way you could possibly get because it takes you above any circumstances of which weigh and hold you back and down. That's David's perspective. Did you see it? It's exactly on Habakkuk's level. When their strength is in the Lord, and it'll be the same for you. I'm looking for next week. You guys come back. I get, man, I'm telling you what, I got feet like hinds feet. <laughs> it'll sound weird, but you'll, we'll know what we're talking about, won't we? You'll, you'll get to an area that you can see, oh, it looks so different from here. You know, it really doesn't matter what happens to me in that circumstance. I'm God's. I'm His. Let's see if I got anything else. We're going to get to the rooster story, though. 
Oh, my goodness. I got a lot of stuff left. Ernie, you're going to have to wait. Did you see where Habakkuk started? He wanted an explanation. How many times have you raised your hand as a student in the room of God's stuff? And God, I need an explanation. Why is this? Remember the book of Job? We might have to study through, but we'll maybe just we'll kind of make it flow a little quicker than the 40-some chapters. But I'm wondering, it would be probably a good time to do that. I don't, I don't know. I'm still working on that. But Joe, what did he say? Though he slay me, I will still trust him. See, same picture. Now, he got a little bit confused. Why? Because he had friends. You have friends like this? They said, well, you're, Job, I mean, sorry to say, but you, you obviously, pff, it's your fault. You know, you're, you're struggling here. You're struggling, but you must have done something wrong. What had he done wrong? Actually, what he did wrong was he was right. God was using him as an example. He said, you know, have you seen Job? This guy is, he's really cool. And Job's life just completely fell apart for no reason. Have you ever had that happen? Oh, right? Oh, what do you got to do? Need hinds feet. Get to the top. See what's going on. Get perspective. This is God's world. He's in charge. He can save me. He can take care of anything that I can see. Job. Lots of trouble. Lots of trouble. But he didn't... You know what? God never explained a thing to him. That was, my, that was my point. He never explained anything. What did he do to him? He let him see himself, himself being God. He let God be fuller, bigger than he'd ever seen him before, and that was enough. Don't stand on explanations. Stand on promises. Don't stand on explanations. Stand on promises. And the promises of God are based on the character of God. So the more you know about God, you know the things He can't do. He can't lie. He has to love. All of the things that make God who He is. Isn't that good? Those are promises. I'm going to give you a list of things. If you guys can write these down, I would suggest you do this. There's a couple I'm going to leave with you. These are promises that you need to have, that you need to know. Isaiah 41, 10 through 13. You want me to write them down? You guys, are you guys kind of like visual people? Nobody cares. Okay, very good. I'll just... 1 Peter 5, 7. Oh, you do? You want me to just write them down? Okay. Okay. Oh, there you go. Pictures. Boy, where do I keep getting this one? Get a new one. That's right, Billy. Okay, we'll get a new marker. Try it again. Isaiah 41, whoops, 10 through 13. And you guys can add to this 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your care on him because he careth for you. Don't you love that? Yeah, I can tell him anything because he cares for me. Hebrews 4, 16. Hebrews 4, 16. Romans 8, 1. Oh, that's one of my favorites. There is therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Think of that. You can't ever be possibly condemned. You can't possibly be because you're in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 4, 6, and 7. 
And then I'm going to, well, Ernie, you've already got the rooster, so once we get that done, though, I want you to remind me one more thing, because this is where we're going to end up. We want to go to Hebrews chapter 13. Just remember that. We're not going to go there right now, but I want to go to Hebrews in a second. Now, what, what is this part that takes you away from this? I want, to, I, want to, I want to come back to just for a second. What is it that keeps you from waiting patiently, from rejoicing in the Lord and relying on the Lord? What is it that takes you out of that? I mean, this sounds good today. It's Sunday afternoon, right? You guys are all gung-ho. He says, delight, that's good. And it's not because of me. It's because it's in the Word of God. Habakkuk's life changed because he said, I don't care what happens to me. I'm going to do that. And then I showed you those three men that were probably read that in Habakkuk, those three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and their lives were different. So what's going to make us on, I'm not even going to do this anymore, but sometime this week, something comes to you and that is not the first thing in your mind. What is it that does that to us? What is it that breaks you out of this game plan? This is a strategy. By the way, this strategy will change your life. What is it that keeps us from, li- from, from remembering or keeping this strategy first and foremost? Self. Self? Yep. Yeah. Our old nature. Our old nature. See that, that warring thing we talked about a little bit? What's the other thing you can't trust? You cannot trust. And you can't trust self either. Self is usually at, you know what, you know what is really at the source or what is, God, I want to say this. At the, at the, at the base of pride is self. That's why there's never, there's will be no self in heaven. Can't be. It's all about God. It's all about God. And you say, wait a minute, what do you mean? I, I, I have, I have, I have, what's the word we use? Um, my rights. My rights. In fact, that's what's wrong with America today, is I'm looking for the word and I can't get it. Um, yeah, but there's a, oh, in other words, I deserve that. I mean, that's, what, what's, Entitlement. Yes, thank you. And his entitlement is really at the base of that is self. I deserve this. And the base of self is pride. God hates pride. He hates it. And you know, it's so sinister. I was actually thinking of this a couple days ago, sitting in the tractor or the chopper or whatever. It's amazing how pride can be so sneaky. And we don't, we don't, we wouldn't even call it pride. Just the sense that we're even thinking about ourselves to an and, um, you know, a lot of stuff, that's pride because we're thinking about self. Okay, I don't want to stand on here, but do you see that it's a really big deal? It's a really big deal. And where was I going with that? Excuse me? Oh, yeah. See, you guys, I, there's, there's one thing we haven't said yet. Self is a, that's a really good answer. Self will keep you from doing this. But why is it? What is it the part of self that makes self more important than this. And this you can't ever trust. You can't ever trust this. What we're doing right here is we are theologically lining up truth and we're adhering to biblical truth that we know works. This will work regardless of circumstance. But when we're running on feelings, self is off to the races. Because we all have felt different things. And not every thought that comes into your mind is from God. And thoughts determine feelings. This is why I want, there's another verse you need to write down. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5. Let's go there for a second. And believe it or not, we're going to end today sometime. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and let's look at verse 5. 2 Corinthians 10 
And some of you may be very familiar with this verse. That's good because this is one you want to get a hold of. Not every thought that comes into our mind is good or of God. And feelings come from thoughts. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. In fact, Satan is really, really dutiful in trying to get you to think about anything other than those things. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity. Think of that. Jailing or capturing every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's a verse you need to get a hold on. In, if that thought that comes in your mind, and whoa, where did that come from? Take it captive to the obedience of Christ. Maybe you just need to thrust it out. Woke up in the middle of the night last night. Just thoughts that were just, that's not, it's wrong. And you just start, you start praying and I'm thinking, Jesus, just may those things go away. I want to talk about you right now. I want to think about you. And then people's, people come on my mind and I start praying for some of you that I know are going through a situation. See, that's cool, isn't it? But that's what taking captive every thought in obedience to Jesus Christ. That's the key to making sure that this takes place. G. Campbell Morgan. Some of you may have heard of him. I think this, I wrote this down. This is, this is, this is, a, this is a quote. G. Campbell Morgan, and I want to make sure he's given uh, credit for it. He said this. Our joy is proportional to our trust. Our trust is proportional to our knowledge of God. That is really, really good. So the more we know about God, the more we can trust Him. And the more we trust Him, the more joyful we are. And see, we usually work that backwards, don't we? We want circumstances to make us joyful. And then when circumstances change, then we got no joy. Oh, no, it's deeper than that. You want me to say it one more time? Okay. Our joy is proportional to our trust. Our trust is proportional to our knowledge of God. You work on that one for a while. And you're going to be so joyful you won't be able to stand yourselves. All right. God is working for you, on you, and in you. Uh, I got to tell the rooster story, right? I think we're, I wore you guys out. And then there's one, oh yeah, and I'm gonna, we're going to finish with one more verse. This, this one is really good, Hebrews chapter 13. Okay, so here's the story, and it really probably isn't that great, but I, I kept Ernie awake this whole time because he was thinking about it. Right? Okay. <laughs> anyway, there was, a, there was a man by the name of Samuel. This story was told uh, by a man by the name of J.K. Gresset. And Mr. Gresset said that there was a man that, by the name of Samuel, he and his family lived in the, de- in the desert in Arizona. And they had built their own place. It was just, you know, it wasn't spectacular, but it was just, you know, they had their own, you know, chicken coop, and they had a garden, and they had an orchard, and they had just, you know, they'd worked hard and hard, and it was theirs. It was, you know, you know what I'm talking about, okay? And on one particular night, there was a vicious, vicious storm. I mean, rain, and I'm, I'm having a little trouble with this. A lot of rain in Arizona, really, but that's what they said. So I'm just I'm giving you the story. That's not important, but it sort of is. A lot of rain and hail and high winds. 
And you can, have you ever been in those where it's just rocking the house and it's, and then you, you there, there's a, there's a noise about hail and just, oh, you know, that's, you know, that, that stomach thing going on, right? Like what day was that? August, whatever day it was at the fair. That was like, oh, it was right there kind of stuff. Okay. Those people are having this going on. And it's almost like the next morning couldn't come fast enough. And yet he didn't want to ever go out. Right. But I mean, not even the crack of dawn, they, they go outside to just see how much damage there is, and it's a wreck. It is a wreck. There is stuff scattered everywhere. The orchard's destroyed. The garden is completely pounded into the dirt. The chicken house is blown away. There's dead chickens around. It's a total crazy wipeout. And all of a sudden, they hear a little bit over in a wood pile that was just a bunch of stuff. And they hear some noise. And the sun is just peeking up. And out comes this war-torn rooster. And he looks rough. But he gets up on top of that highest piece of wood. And he flaps his wings. And he crows like it was the greatest morning of all time. Because he saw the sun. And he couldn't stop crowing about what he knew was important. And we as Christians have the same thing going in our life. No matter what the... You know, think of that. He just, regardless of circumstances, he's still crowing. He couldn't stop because the sun was up. And because of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we should be crowing about Christianity. Let's turn one more verse, and then we're going to shut her down. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. And let's look at those verses 5 and 6. And here again... Uh, guys, tomorrow morning, when you take this, this uh, book scripturally and you brew the coffee, Hebrews, and you take, and, and take your Bibles out and you read to your family or to your wife and whoever's there, these two verses. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. If that doesn't drive your world, I don't have any answers then. Isn't that good? That's a promise. We're not standing on circumstances. This week, that's the deal. Don't stand on circumstances. Stand on promises. Yep. And ultimately God. Okay. Questions or comments? What was your other verse? This is, this is a little bit of a pop quiz. Remember, I want you to really, I really, really want you guys, get, get an index card. You know, remember those index cards, those little white guys? I actually was, I was doing a work, um, um, I'll, I'll, I, won't, I won't say, his, you got some. See, I like that. Right. Anyway, there's a guy that I've done work for before over in the Manhattan area, and I'd forgotten it until last year, and he just has a pocket full of index cards. And he's always got a pen. And uh, I said, well, do you have your phone number? He, you know, I'm so clumsy with my phone, you know, I finally get it, but whatever. He said, no, I got it, no problem. He just says his index card, puts it out, gives it to me. He said, put that in your pocket. I want you to do that this week with 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Those three things, what are they? Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and thank the Lord Jesus Christ for everything. Change your life. Change your life. Okay, any questions or comments? All right. Either that means we did really good or you're really tired of it. So we'll go with the first one, huh? Habakkuk, chapter, what a great book.
Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your love and care. We thank you for the fact, Father, that we can wait patiently in you. We can rest in the Lord God. We can rest, Father, on the promises that you've set out for us. Thank you that you are above and beyond circumstances. Father, as, as Habakkuk prayed and sang, ultimately, may you give us hind's feet, sure-footed that of a gazelle, going to the highest places, for us to get perspective on how great and grandiose you truly are. Our circumstances are so little when we're granted the proper perspective. Father, help us through those difficult times, though, and sometimes it's better for us to be learning and to be changed and to be conformed in a way that we're ready for the circumstances. Father, if it is your will, it's probably sometimes to take the circumstances away, but Father, most of the time it's to make us stronger and better and bolder with more strength. Father, I pray for this group here this week. There will be situations this week that will be overwhelming. It will be very difficult potentially. Father, may you answer these prayers that we're saying right now to be able to take them to a high level to be that you would be their strength that would rely on you and would wait patiently for you. Father, what a great God you are. Father, thank you for loving us so much that we can be yours forever, that there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the greatest gift given to mankind, Jesus Christ and grace, which we've been talking a lot about. May you protect us, provide for us, and go with us. Thank you for working on us, in us, and with us. And these things we ask in Christ's name. Ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.